Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met, directly or indirectly, many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Today, my guest is the one and only Sir Eric Peacock. Now listen to this for a CV. Since the 1970s, Sir Eric Peacock has been leading companies, driving acquisition of businesses, and growing organizations. From Baby Grow, a company took to a full stock market listing, to award-winning stage technologies and aim-listed Baden Hill FX, Eric has been prolific in growing and selling businesses. He has served on the boards of the UK Foreign Office and Department for Business and has run companies in Asia, Africa, North America and Europe. Eric was knighted in 2003 for services to foreign trade and his philanthropic work includes leading the Peacock Foundation and Uniqueness, two charities which support disadvantaged children and young adults. And if that wasn't enough, he's also chairman of the Big Cat Sanctuary and chairman of the Zoological Society of Hertfordshire. It gives me enormous pleasure to welcome our guest today, Sir Eric Peacock. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this very much indeed. Uh, First question, if I may, how on earth... Do you find time for all of those things? Well, in terms of the business end of life, I'm usually involved with four or five businesses at a time. They're all on different parts of the journey, on a continuum usually of grooming their businesses for some form of exit, whether it be public listing, whether it be trade sale, or maybe in the odd case, just running it as a mean dividend machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the time changes depending on at the beginning we're focused on the strategy um, getting the right people on the bus on the right in the right seats on the bus getting the dream team together both internally and externally and then it goes a bit quieter because we're just focused on execution and then as we come towards some form of exit whether it be a listing whether it be a trade sale it hots up again Um, fortunately all five of them have never all decided to exit at the same time. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think I'd be here. <laughs> so um, where did all this entrepreneurial flair come from, Eric? Where, you know, obviously, you've got a wealth of experience. Tell us a little bit about your background. So a lot of people won't know of you necessarily. Um, so where did it all start? I guess um, my, my first start was probably at school uh, in the Harold Wilson white heat of technology end of life. Um, my school friend and I, we decided there was a market to sell chemicals and laboratory equipment um, because we were, all our school was excited about what was happening in science. So um, his father ran a chemical company, so we ended up getting all these chemicals and we flogged them. We were making a lot of money <laughs> um, there. 
Um, unfortunately, that business came to a bit of a halt because uh, our, our wider school friend groups found it was easier to steal the chemicals and lab equipment from a school lab than it was buying at our inflated prices. But that's probably my first little foray into entrepreneurial activity. But beyond that, I'm really a I was really a large corporate guy until my mid-30s. I, I worked for a company that had been established in 1753. Um, they sent me all around the world to cut my teeth on various projects, um, hence my involvement in Africa, North America, mainland Europe, uh, China. Um, we were manufacturing or distributing in every continent in the world. Then we became part of Hanson Trust, and indeed it was working with James for about four years that really sparked my entrepreneurial bug. And he, in fact, staked me on my first entrepreneurial purchase. It, I was doing, I was spotting acquisitions for my division, and I, I came across one which um, he didn't want to do because it didn't conform to political risk. It was on the peace line in Belfast, um, so I could understand that. And he said, um, have you thought of doing it yourself, Eric? I said, no money, James. <laughs> Killer question. If you had the money, Eric, would you do it? Yes, I would. <laughs> Supposing I lend you the money and you let me have it back with a bit of investor interest. And that set me off. We bought this business um, on the peace line, um, invested heavily in it, um, and sold it three and a half years later. And that enabled me to buy Baby Grow, um, which was my second one, the one that we took public. We started off with 100 people and ended up with over 2,000 and a full stock exchange listing. That was great fun. Well, I was a customer, I have to say, all those years ago. So what, what drives you to keep doing all these amazing things? Because, you know, nothing ever stands still for you, does it? No, I think uh, it, it's the opportunity and indeed the privilege to work with amazing leaders. Um, it's so exciting when you are working with driven leaders who are entrepreneurial themselves, who've got a vision about where they can take their company, who recognize that they could do with a bit of gray hair and scar tissue to help them on the journey. Um, and every day is such an exciting one because every day is different. And all of, and the commonality running all the in, in all of these businesses is um, they're all ambitious leaders. Secondly, they're very aspirational. Thirdly, they have international potential or, or are dealing internationally. And fourth, they've got an eye in the main on some form of exit route within, say, a five, six year period, which is either a listing, a trade sale, um, management buyout, whatever it might be. And that's a very exciting area to be involved in. So you are, um, if you don't mind me saying so, I mean, you're the, the, you're the archetypal and a very skilled mentor to lots and lots of people. Um, mentoring, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is mentoring a very important part of success in business for people, would you say? I think it is. And, um, you know, well before the term mentoring or coaching was ever in the business vocabulary, I've been very privileged because I've had some great mentors in my life. Indeed, the four years with James um, Hansen was a fantastic mentoring um, uh, privilege. Uh, if you cut me through like a stick of Blackpool rock, it would say, as James would say to me frequently, happiness is a positive cash flow. <laughs> and, uh, and I learned so much from him in 
simple bonus and motivational structures, a passion for people, uh, clarity around risk, um, which I'm deeply grateful for. And indeed, these days, um, it's gone to the other direction. I mean, those of us who are particularly older than um, the young guys like you, Sandra, um, need to be at the cutting edge of technology. So my current mentor is a 21-year-old guy who's helping me through the transition of what's happening, particularly in terms of social media um, and how I can up my game and bring learning to the businesses and the leaders that I work with. That's a really interesting point that you've just raised there, Eric. So it isn't necessarily a question that we should look for mentors who have red braces and, and white hair, is it? I mean, you can learn from anybody. Absolutely. I, um, I did a thing for Nelson Mandela in the last year of his presidency when he brought to South Africa 20 entrepreneurs to share with 5,000 people um, in the intermediary space about how they could grow their entrepreneurial talent. And at the final cocktail party, when he was thanking the, the 20 people, I asked him, I said, Mr. President, um, what advice would you give to me? And he, he looked at me with his steely blue eyes and said, you know, Eric, remember that everyone you meet is potentially your teacher. If you seek deeply enough into them you can take away a bit of learning. And I've tried to, that stayed with me in all these years since, since um, he said that to me. And, and so I believe passionately that in every interaction, there's learning. Uh, I call it stealing with pride. Um, and I'm not too proud to dig deeply and try and find out what someone else is doing, adapting it pragmatically to the businesses I'm involved with and energetically putting it into action. You strike me as a very passionate guy. I mean, we know each other reasonably well. Um, you strike me as very passionate, and, and it's a word I've already heard you use today. So is passion an important part? When, you, when you're looking to work with people, because I'm sure you have them queuing up, when they come to you and say, Eric, can you help me with my business? What, what are you looking for in somebody for you to work with them? I'm looking for someone, first of all, who's got a great business idea. Uh, secondly, that they're really passionate about it. Thirdly, they're prepared to make the sacrifices that go with scaling up your business. Um, and as, as you will well know, I mean, there's no straight lines in terms of the growth of your business. There will always be bumps in the road. You're looking for people who've got resilience um, to be able to, like the rubber ball, bounce back when the times get tough. Um, and looking for learners and sharers because just as I hope that they might learn from some of the mistakes I've made, so I can avoid them making the same mistake, I'm equally looking to learn from them because they'll be doing something and it's colliding the learning and sharing together that gives an opportunity for progression. Mm. So um, I, I'm very interested to know a little bit more about Eric the man. Uh, so that lovely accent tells me that you are from a very beautiful part of the world. Tell us about your early life and uh, how you found a way into business and all these amazing skills you've acquired. I'm a Glasgow man um, by my history, born there, um, and went to school in Glasgow. Then I was educated at Queen's University in Belfast. The, the PLC that I joined when I came out of university uh, was manufacturing in every corner of the globe. And so, as my then chairman said to me, 
part of the training program, Eric, is we send you off to uh, these far-flung places so you can make your first line management mistakes away from the glare of head office. <laughs> and that was a very good way to learn. Mm. And in those days, of course, there was no um, internet or email. So by the time they found out you'd really screwed up, you'd moved on to another country. It was someone else's mm, problem. Mm. Um, but that gave me a, a sense internationally at a very early stage of what was happening in different markets, different growth rates, different cultures, which was a really exciting bedrock. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm passionate about what's happening, in, particularly in China at the moment. Mm. I've been going to China really for the last... 30 odd years and uh, I mean the opportunities there I would say to anyone who's listening to this if you're not involved in China just go there to see what is happening there in terms of the speed of growth the talent which is out there the opportunities which your business has mm. um, regardless of whether you're in a service business a manufacturing business or a technology business so Eric you've you've enjoyed some incredible success in your career. Uh, it would be fair to say, I think, wouldn't it, that you mentioned the word mistake already. Lots of mistakes, lots of challenges along the way. What, what would you say, what advice would you give to people listening that are faced with challenges that may otherwise derail them and you know, dissuade them from wanting to do what they, they wish to do? Well, I actually believe that in every one of these challenges or road bumps, there's a, a bit of learning there that you can get some value from. Um, also, I think there are very few challenges that someone else has not um, been a party to. And I'm certainly never too proud to ask other people about how they've got around a particular problem. Um, I operate with a mastermind group. Uh, that's a, a group of four other people. We support one another um, in terms, we're all in very diverse businesses and we share opportunities, we share challenges and try and learn from that. I'm also passionate and run a peer group learning group of a dozen leaders uh, from different um, uh, companies, non-competing companies. And again, um, part of the uh, time we spend, we parachute in some expertise and excellence. The other time, it's just about each individual putting their opportunity or challenge on the table and using the combined resource experience of the group to see if we can get a better solution. Mm. So I think these are ways in which you can support yourself. It's a very lonely existence when you're a leader at the top uh, because sometimes it is inappropriate to be talking to your business colleagues about some of the issues that are worrying you. Mm. You want them focused on the business. You carry the worry on your own shoulders, mm. but you need some support mechanisms out there to help. That's the way I do it. You, um, going off tangent a little, a little bit, you have an incredible sartorial elegance, if you don't mind me saying. What, what does the way you present yourself say about Sir Eric Peacock? Is it important? Um, How you dress? Me, me, you... May, maybe it's just the peacock in me <laughs> <laughs> that I hear. Um, I, I think it's important in, in hopefully looking good, you feel good internally. Um, and that, I think... Um, uh, gives an, an era of professionalism, of focus, uh, of interest, of conversation. 
um, which is beneficial. But that doesn't mean to say it needs to be, uh, today I'm suited and booted, <laughs> but if you saw me uh, in one of my technology businesses with my, not quite my open-toed sandals, um, it would be a very different Eric which you saw. So it's about dressing for the environment in which you're likely to be involved in. Uh, clearly, if you're raising cash, open-toed sandals is maybe not the, the right um, uh, view that an investor, particularly an institutional one, wants to see. But equally, if you're talking to a technology entrepreneur, um, coming suited and booted as I am today is probably a bit of a turn-off. And definitely not baby grow. Huh? Definitely not baby grow. <laughs> However, um, when we took the business public, you know, because business has got to be fun, um, we thought, what can we do to enjoin some of our 2,000 people in this um, uh, idea? So I had this idea that we could turn it into a charity one. And our project that year was the Ethiopian Gemini Twins. And so we, we had a couple of flights, one from Ireland and one from Scotland. And we took 300 people to the floor of the Stock Exchange to watch our listing go live. To get on the flight, you had to be collecting for the charity when you got to London, um, and you had to be dressed in a giant baby grow. So you can imagine in the Stock Exchange, 300 people on giant <laughs> baby grows <laughs> arriving. Uh, and I've got to say that for some of these young people, um, it was the first time away from Scotland or from Ireland. Much drink was taken. In fact, we were invited to leave the Stock Exchange. But that was only surpassed by persuading the Stock Exchange Council that our prospectus should be published in baby pink and baby blue paper, which were our corporate colours. Our logo was a teddy bear and my other idea of having a pop-up teddy bear as you opened a prospectus was a journey too far for the Stock Exchange Committee. <laughs> and so we had to settle for the baby pink and blue paper, which I think is the only one to this day that's ever been published in uh, amazing Technicolor. Wow. So what do you, uh, Eric, what do you do if you have any spare time? What do you do to relax? Because, you know, it must be like spinning plates and, and you're, you're constantly refocusing, constantly uh, moving from one place to another because you've got, obviously got all these different business interests. What do you do to, to relax and switch off from it all? Relaxation for me is around art, music, theatre and sport in the form of football. Uh, not my playing days are over. Uh, in my school days, I was a goalkeeper known as the cat. Uh, these days, I am a very passive watcher of football. Um, and uh, and th that's how I relax, because um, particularly in music and literature and art, you can do it on the move, yeah. as it were. And we're talking about the world of business, and no one has greater experience of it than you, but... Do you, do you see the world of business changing a lot? I mean, there are obviously lots of challenges that have been created by IT and phones and people have stopped communicating these days and I'm sure you have a view on that. But what are the biggest challenges do you think that face um, today's entrepreneur in terms of moving forward with a business idea? Well, I, I think that the whole area is one of disruption. Um, I mean, who would have thought that the biggest hotel operation was Airbub who don't own a single room. Mm. Who would have thought that the biggest um, logistics business in the form of uh, taxi services would not have a single car on their balance sheet? Uh, who would have thought um, 
of the phenomenon of, of Amazon that is encroaching into almost every area of, uh, of business life. And, and so today's competition is not the, the competitors who operate in the same space, it's the disruptor who's thinking up a plan to take you out lock, stock and barrel. Mm. Uh, so that, that's, I, I think we've got to be very adaptive and agile in terms of the opportunity. But in that lies huge opportunities for us, particularly for smaller businesses. You no longer need to have a massive investment, a massive balance sheet to find a niche in the marketplace where you can make um, significant returns on your capital. That's, that's a really good point, actually, because I think a lot of people fear... Uh, the disappearance of the high street, as you and yeah. I would know, despite your very kind earlier comments about my age. You know, we've seen the, the, the move away from the high street, but what you're saying is there's now a new opportunity yeah. for, for people just in a, in a different way. That's right. And if you look at what's happening in the online end of life, you know, an online business is not defined by its size. It's defined by its offer, its product and its service. Um, you know, in businesses that I'm involved in, we're operating in China making serious growth and serious money without a single bricks and mortar retail establishment. Mm. Um, and it's been a relatively easy journey. Um, so the online end of life makes it available for almost everyone for the sake of an investment in an online platform uh, to be in business without a 30 year lease and a refurbishment clause at the end of it. Mm. What, what's next for you? I mean, you, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who would get to a point in his life or his career and say, well, that's it, now I'm going to stick to gardening and playing a bit of golf. Any, any particular projects on the go, things that you're thinking about doing? Anything you still aspire to do that's on the bucket list that you haven't quite got around to doing yet? Well, I'm, I'm still always looking for the interesting businesses and leaders that I can support and help. Um, in, in virtually any um, industry sector because my sweet spot is the challenges of growth and scaling up uh, which are cultural challenges, innovation challenges, technology challenges um, and I'm also trying to put something back in uh, having been fortunate and having a good life taking things out hence my involvement in the charity end of life a couple of charities in the kids end of life focus on disadvantaged young people and it's about trying to give them a chance to um, optimize their potential and in our animal end of life which is another passion of mine we have the big cat sanctuary in Kent which is not open to the public although we, you can stay there we've got five-star lodges in the grounds uh, and that's about conservation education breeding and return to the wild and then we have our other zoological society of Hertfordshire, known as Paradise Park, which is an open zoo with about 400,000 people a year coming in. And, and that's about animal experiences uh, and big educational involvement because um, at the rate of deforestation, you know, if we don't look after what we've got, our children and grandchildren will not see some of the animals mm. which are currently walking the, um, uh, the planet. And without being too political about this and getting into a wider debate, um, what, what's your view on, I mean, is there, is there a degree of, uh, are people naive, are, are people poorly educated when it comes to things like conservation? I know it's something you're very passionate about. So uh, what would you say to people in terms of trying to better their education and, and having a greater awareness and understanding of, of what's going on in the, in the wider world? 
Well, I think for me, the way I've done it is to get involved in things that I'm passionate about. So I'm, I'm passionate about the animal kingdom anyway. And within that takes you into whole areas of conservation. And from that, you meet with people who are equally passionate, who might be involved in other areas like the ocean cleanup, end of life, which is a high um, visible area at the moment. So rather than sitting down and trying to be an expert in conservation, it's doing it by being involved mm. and meeting with other people who are, who are similarly passionate about it is a great experience, I think. What's, what's clear to me, uh, Eric, is that you are uh, a very generous giver. And one of the things that seems to be very common amongst successful people is that they tend to give an awful lot more than they take. How important is mentorship? How important is nurturing, helping other people to you? And, and do you see a correlation between what you can give to the wider community, whether it's conservation, disadvantaged children, or the business community, in terms of what it's done for you in your business life? Well, I, I never fail to be amazed at how, in some shape, form or another, maybe from a different direction, other things come back to you because of things that you've done, Eric. I think it's very easy to be generous of spirit. Uh, I'm very fortunate that someone once said to me, when you're working with Eric, not only do you get his grey hair and scar tissue, you get his diary. <laughs> um, and, and I'm very fortunate on, on having an amazingly good network. And um, it's very easy to connect people with that network. It costs very little in time and energy. And, and okay, there may be many people who don't say the thanks that you, you might expect them to say. But on the other hand, there are so many things come out of the woodwork years later where someone remembers a, con a connection you made. So it's a bit like a bit karma, really. My father was, was born in Scotland, my late father was born in Scotland, and one of the things that my family always taught me was the pleases and thank yous, and we are kind of old-fashioned in that respect, although I, I make no apologies for, for being, and being brought up that way. Clearly, a lot of those, um, those kind of archetypal, old-fashioned beliefs and um, ways of behaviour are really important to you. Would, would that be fair? It would be, and, and what really gives me a great deal of... Um enthusiasm is that that's not just restricted to the, the older generation. I mean, there is an amazing wealth of giving, of caring um, from the young entrepreneurial community that I engage with. People who really go the extra mile in helping someone else it is really amazing. And I think, again, the technology is a great connector across the globe. It's so much easier to help people connect them and I have a great sense of pride and um, belief in good fortune and what that young entrepreneurial community is actually doing. They've got strong values that um, are maybe expressed in a different way, but are just as good as perhaps your father, who was a legend in, in, in his own lifetime. And, and the flip side of that then, is, are there any particular human traits that you abhor or you, know, you, you find quite challenging? Um, now, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer that it's so queer as folk, <laughs> and um, you can spend a lot of time and energy in having a point of view about someone's way they do business, the way they operate, or you can just accept the fact that that's them, mm. and focus on the good side of them and the opportunities which lie within that and, 
uh, rather than on the negative end of life. To, to a younger person who may be listening to this, well, in fact, to anybody that, that may be seeking uh, a new career opportunity, maybe starting out in business for the first time, perhaps hasn't quite defined who they are or what they want to be just yet. What, what do you say to people in terms of taking that first step? Because it's something that a lot of people find very difficult, isn't it? Indeed, I think um, I would always go down the route of finding a business that you're passionate about, mm -hmm. a leader you're passionate about. I would encourage every one of them to go on YouTube and listen to Steve Jobs' um, address to the graduation class of Stamford. And here is an icon, a change maker in our lifetime, uh, who basically said, if you ain't happy in what you're doing, call it a day and do something different. He also said, um, what's the point of um, hiring smart people and telling them what to do? We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. And so I think um, choosing a a business culture or a leadership culture and getting into that and doing something that you're happy in doing and passionate about is really the first stage in developing a strong business career. Yeah, and passion is something I hear more and more from you as, we, as, we've, uh, as I've enjoyed this, this conversation today. So uh, the last question, it's one that we ask all of our guests. Let's imagine that Sir Eric Peacock is now having a conversation with a younger version of himself and you're still a a young man, of course, but um, young man, 18 years old, just left college, starting university possibly, thinking about his first business opportunity, knowing all the things that you know now, Eric, what would you be saying to yourself in terms of advice for the future? Well, I'm very fortunate because over the last sort of 10 years or so, each year I've taken a couple of weeks out and traveled the world just meeting leaders in almost every continent I've spent a lot of time in the States and, and it seems to me that there are some commonalities which the really exceptional companies embrace and I just wish I had known what they were when I started out at 18, uh, going to university and, and doing my first sort of entrepreneurial things and quickly running through them. Um, start in your business with a compelling purpose. Um, so. Um, by, by that, I mean something that gets people out of bed in the morning. You know, I love the idea of, you know, the, the Coke um, mission statement is to put a, a, a Coke within the hand reach of every person in the world. Wow, that would get me out of bed. Um, I love the idea of the compelling purpose of um, Apple and their simplicity of technology. Um, so start with a compelling purpose. Secondly, um, be the leader who walks the talk um, and it's not just a phrase but it actually happens and so uh, I've seen so many good examples of leaders who uh, who are doing that uh, and, and who are defined by their personal actions within the business. The third one would be to understand the cultural fit in a business. You know, I, I, I spoke to some of the folks in Google in the States. They had had a role outstanding for 18 months. They had interviewed 130 people for it, but they would not settle for second best. They would rather 
um, have the position unfilled than compromise. Um, so I like that. Um, I would um, also look at um, having a culture which is innovation. You know, I'm amazed if you look at the Fortune 500 companies, the amount of Fortune 500 companies who've now got corporate venturing arms so that away from the bureaucracy of their business, they can encourage innovation and creativity. So um, having that innovation culture. Um, the other thing I see in these exceptional businesses is they're, they do brilliant basics, but they sprinkle a little bit of magic at the end of it that keeps the customers coming back. These exceptional businesses are also ones which are obsessive to the customers. When I was with Tesla, the phrase they used was, well, you know, we don't have focus groups. We just staple ourselves to the customer. And, and so if I were setting out again, I'd be looking for the businesses who are customer obsessive. Um, and uh, I'd be also looking, because of the present climate about environment generally, looking at ones which which are sensitive about the environment and are constantly pushing the boundaries of that. And I'd look for companies who are um, focused on um, well-being. Uh, it was interesting speaking to chief execs at uh, areas like Cisco, at um, uh, Southwest Airlines, saying, you know, what as a leader is on your desk at the moment? And it's well well-being came up time and time again. In fact, someone said to me in the States, said, you know, it's not all that far along that somebody won't join a business unless it's got a good well-being record. It's a bit like, you know, Glassdoor, where you can do a quick check on what the CEO is like in that business you're about to join. Mm. Um, their belief was that well-being um, was going to be just as important and mental well-being, uh, creating a culture that brings about respect, happiness, uh, and provides an environment where people can potentialize themselves. So these would be the kind of things that, if I'd known that, Sandro, when I was 18, oh, I could have conquered the world with my businesses. Well, all I can say is, wow, and even though my father, God rest his soul, did a very good job, I wish I'd had you around when I was 18. <laughs> um, so our time's come to an end, very unfortunately. There are lots of adjectives I can use to describe uh, today's conversation, Eric. I suppose the, the one that springs to mind is fabulous because it just covers so many different things and there are loads and loads of other things if we had the time we'd talk about, I'm sure. And maybe, given all the calls I'm sure that will follow, uh, you'll, you'll come back and we'll talk some more at some point in the I'd future. I'd love to at any time. Uh, so Eric Peacock, thank you so much for joining. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. That was the Sandro Forte podcast, and our guest today was the fabulous Sir Eric Peacock. Don't forget, lots more interviews to come in the weeks and months ahead. So follow us on social media, Sandro's podcast, same on all channels. And don't forget to share your stories, thoughts, experiences, and email me, hello at sandrospodcast.com. Finally, please leave a review on the podcast on iTunes and tell us what you'd like more of in the future. Catch you soon.